Hello and welcome to another episode of the Innovation on Main podcast, which is brought to you by the University of South Carolina College of Engineering and Computing. Are you a current student in the college or an alumnus? If so, the college has just released an app called CEC Connect that is perfect for you. This app can connect you to the college's global network of alumni and can make sure you are the first person to hear about available internships and jobs. Think of it as LinkedIn Premium, except without subscription fees, advertisements, or the random sponsored messages in your mailbox. Again, do not miss out on this ability to connect with thousands of the college's alumni. Download the CEC Connect app today in the Google Play or Apple App Store, or visit cecconnect.com. Now, I'm your host, Abe Danaher, and today I'll be joined by Roger Dougal to discuss power electronic systems and the impending shift to DC power. But before we get into that, I'm going to start things a little different today. I'm going to start with a story. Once upon a time, a man named Thomas Edison stood at his bedroom window, gazing out at the streets surrounding his laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. Usually, all he did was smile as he stood in that window, basking in the glory and light produced by the room's incandescent lights that he'd invented years earlier. But today was different. Today, he was in the midst of a war that would define his legacy for years to come and would shape the future of electricity for the next 100 plus years. Thomas had developed something called direct current power, and his arch nemesis, Nikola Tesla, had developed a different technology called alternating current power. Tomorrow, Thomas knew he would be receiving the final word regarding which form of power would be used to light up the 1993 Chicago World's Fair, and for some reason, he had a terrible feeling that it wasn't going to be his DC current technology. Thomas felt helpless. I mean, he'd done everything he could to try to make DC power look better than AC. Heck, he'd even gone as far as publicly electrocuting stray cats, dogs, and horses to try and make everyone think that AC power was dangerous. But he had a sinking feeling that all his work had been worthless. He knew that whichever current was chosen tomorrow would start a domino effect, ending with control of the entire nation's energy system. Standing in his window, a tear slid down his cheek at the thought of his great DC current invention being pushed to the wayside. Well, my friends, I can tell you that Thomas lost the war of the currents, and to this day, AC power dominates the energy grid in America. The system works like this. Energy is produced at power plants, sent from the plants to your home in the form of AC power, and then converted to DC power as it leaves your outlets and enters whatever is plugged into them. But recently, there's been a revival in the belief of DC energy, and my friend Roger Dougal is at the forefront of that revival. People have found that using DC energy is more efficient than AC energy, and that it allows for a more versatile use of the energy. So, let's send it to Columbia's favorite band, No Way Jose, and then hear from Roger about this DC energy renaissance. Roger, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Abe. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, I started off by telling the guests the whole story of the War of the Currents and Thomas Edison versus Nikola Tesla. And I know we talked about that earlier, but um, would it be fair to call you today's Thomas Edison? Yeah, well, at least I'm a great proponent of DC power. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you get involved with DC power? Well, really, it's a natural direction for things to take in as, as power electronics have become more pervasive. And electronics have become smaller, new, new ways of using power 
have really demanded that the, 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 the consumption of that power be in the form of DC currents inside of all equipment. Everything we own today is consuming power in a DC form inside. Okay. So today the landscape is entirely different than before, correct? It is. And, um, you know, if, if I think back about the long history of this thing, I, I realized that um, in the 1880s, when we established the AC power grid, we were tilling fields with ox pulling plows. Uh, railroad tracks were carrying trains powered by steam engines, burning coal. And, and uh, you know, that and that 60 hertz AC power system that we built in the 1880s, starting in the 1880s, is still with us today, 130 years later. It's, it's like, well, is that the only thing that didn't change? Well, you know, it was either we made a brilliant decision back then and established an architecture that was so robust that it continues today, or it's hopelessly archaic. And I'm not sure which one it is. It's a little of each, actually. So what has changed since 1880 that now allows you to think that DC power is what we should take for maybe the next 30, 100, 130 years? Well, so so the, the, the one thing that's fundamentally different is we have semiconductor technologies, transistors. That allows us to turn currents on and off and direct the flow of power where we want. And so there's a technology called power electronics, and, and that is the, the art of building electronic power converters that allow us to change voltages from low voltages to high voltages or vice versa. And, and in the old days, we didn't have those transistors. The only way we could convert voltages from low to high uh, in order to transmit energy long distances was to use a thing called a transformer. That was Nikola Tesla's invention. And it was a brilliant thing, but, uh, but it essentially made the whole electric grid of the United States one big machine. One big, it's been recognized around, you know, around the world as the single biggest, most complex machine ever invented by mankind. And, and, it, and it may be hard to believe this, but if you, if you plug in a new device, you plug in your computer right here today, you could be getting some of your power from Nebraska, uh, you know, a, a power plant running in Nebraska. And the, and the power plant running in Nebraska is synchronized to the power plant right here, uh, synchronized on a very tight time scale because it all has to operate as one big machine. Hmm. But if we convert to DC power, all of these machines can operate independently. And the sharing of of energy between zones of the country and between regions of a city or even within a house becomes easier to manage. Okay. And now I'm wake, I'm guessing that you didn't wake up one morning and just think, oh, this is the morning we're going to start pushing for DC power. <laughs> when in your head did you start thinking maybe things, maybe now's the time to change? Well, um, I'm not sure. I think about 10 years ago, maybe almost 15 years ago, I was teaching a course on power electronics and our semester project was the DC home. And, and, and you know, all semester long, that was the, the underlying theme of everything we did in the, in, in the class was, so what if I had a, a DC house? Uh, how would I do this? How would I do that? What kind of power converter would I need here and there? And, and um, so that was at least a point in my life where I thought, this really makes a lot of sense. We need to start doing it. 
And what if you did have a DC power home? Like, what did you, what are your thoughts about that now? What would it look different? Well, um, it might not look a lot different. It, it might behave a little bit differently. Uh, in fact, most of our homes are almost all DC now. We just don't know it, except that the power runs around in this archaic AC form. Um, so when you install a new LED light bulb, that thing's actually rectifying the current to DC inside itself. It's got a little computer in there. It's doing all kinds of complicated electronic stuff to make the light come out. And, uh, you know, in comparison to an old light bulb, the, the one that Edison worked on, they're still called Edison base bulbs, by the way, you know, when you screw in a light bulb, that's an Edison base bulb. Um, that was a tungsten filament. You can, you can put AC or DC currents through tungsten and make it glow white hot at the light bulb. But if you want to do that with semiconductors, uh, you have to make the current flow in the correct direction through the semiconductor to cause electrons and holes to get together in the right places and recombine and emit light. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so part of the things that people would see if... It was all DC. There was no AC. Is we wouldn't see these big blocks on the edge of our chargers. We wouldn't see these big. Maybe not. Okay. Um, so that does two jobs. One is it converts AC to DC, but the other is it converts 120 volts AC to five volts or 15 volts DC. So it's a lower voltage as well as it's being converted from AC to DC. Okay. And I know that the benefits of this stretch outside of the home to stretches to manufacturing and businesses. How would it change that look? So in manufacturing, there's a lot of machinery that has to be controlled very precisely. And in order to make uh, machines run at the right speed, like a robot arm, you know, controlling the position of a robot arm, I'm actually adjusting the speeds of all the little motors in that arm that are moving it around. And I do that by building a thing called uh, a motor drive. It's an electronic power converter that um, controls all the currents that flow inside the motor to produce the torque that you want the machine to have. The source of the power for that is DC power. So in order to make that complicated robot, we take AC power out of the wall right now, convert it to DC, and then inside the robot, we make it into the right kinds of things to move the arm the way we want it to move. So we have all these little AC to DC converters all over the world. Pretty much everything we use that's powered by electricity has these converters all over inside it. Well, if we got rid of the AC to begin with, then everything would just be consuming the DC that's there. And, and, that, and that has a lot of ramifications in today's world where we have solar panels that produce DC current. We have batteries that absorb or supply DC currents uh, to store energy. Um, and and um, so it becomes much easier to integrate some of these renewable energy technologies if we were using DC power distribution systems. How would using DC energy power um, systems really help us bring in these batteries into the power grid and renewable energies, how do they make it more efficient? Well, so right now, for example, um, wind turbines run, the, the, the blades turn at different speeds depending on how fast the wind is blowing. 
And when they were originally created, they had to run at a very constant speed, regardless of the wind speed, because they were tied into the electric grid through one machine, an electric machine, we call it. It's a, whether it's a motor or a generator, it has the same general structure, but it has to turn in synchronism with the 60 hertz AC electric grid. Um, then we developed some more complex machines there that have power electronics in them that convert one frequency of AC to a different frequency of AC so that now the wind turbine can turn at a, at a speed that maximizes extraction of energy from the wind, but still connects to the 60 hertz grid. Meanwhile, it's going through DC on the way there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, and then maybe at the base of the wind turbine, there might be a big containerized battery energy storage system so that when the wind stops blowing, the battery supplies power and, and it keeps power flowing from that site. But the battery has DC power and it has to get inverted back into AC power to send it out on the power lines. And so we're doing all these conversions between AC and DC that seem maybe not to be necessary if we had a DC distribution network. Now, so, so what we find if we look around is DC is increasingly being used at very local level, like um, you know, inside a desktop, for example, you know, all, all the accessories you plug into a computer are all DC powered things. There's, there's a DC power conversion system inside the computer. Everything you plug in your USB ports and everything else gets power from that. And so you sort of have a little miniature DC distribution system there. At very high power, there's already significant DC power uh, transmission capacity, and that's been around actually for 50 years or more. So large power interconnects, like from Canada to the U.S. across the border. Okay. Uh, in Japan, from the eastern part of Japan to the western part of Japan, actually part works on 50 hertz AC power and parts on 60 hertz. They can't tie each other together, except that they go through a big DC link and transmit gigawatts, billions of watts of power over that DC link to get from one part of the country to the other. And we do the same in, in sharing some power with Canada. And and um, so, so at the very highest power levels, it's clear that DC wins. At the very lowest levels, it's clear that DC wins. And the hard part is kind of in the middle around our neighborhoods and cities. Um, because there's so much infrastructure that's already there, and it works. <laughs> so, at the highest levels of energy transfer, we have DC. At the lowest levels, we have DC. Why can't we do it in the middle? <laughs> Why can't we connect the two? <laughs> well, the fact is we can have it in the middle. It's a matter of economics. So, um, go talk with Dominion Energy, right, the, the, the local energy supplier, and they've got power equipment installed all over central South Carolina. And they'd have to change every bit of that in order to go to D.C. Well, that would be a hugely expensive undertaking, and, and it's probably not appropriate to do it right now. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why the conversion to DC will begin more at the edges and the fringes and, you know, and kind of like edge computing is going to be edge DC, I guess. And, and, um, eventually it may creep further and further up into the power network, but it will take a long time to replace the, the, the 
infrastructure that's already in place because the infrastructure works. And when you say the edge, um, is this already starting to happen at the edges? Yeah, so we're working with some companies that are doing this, uh, you know, uh, demonstration projects in neighborhoods. So there will be some homes that are purely D.C. homes. There will be some neighborhoods that may be D.C. neighborhoods. Um, obviously, an impediment to that is when you walk into your local home goods store and try to buy, hey, give me a D.C. vacuum cleaner. They're like, what are you <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> but there are parts of the world where, where that's not an uncommon thing. And if you look at um, parts of the world where there is not AC power infrastructure, they may totally jump over that and go immediately into D.C. Okay. And, and uh, because it also works well, like we've talked about with renewable energy systems. So you could have a solar panel um, on a rooftop or uh, you know, out, out in the field and you could be collecting energy and some batteries and you could supply a whole village with power that would be totally DC power and they would have no reason to have an AC power distribution network. And, and um, there's a lot of equipment that's made for boats and RVs and things like that that runs off DC. You can buy DC televisions and refrigerators and all those kinds of things. They're just a little expensive because they're uh, for, for, for us Americans, those are luxury items. <laughs> but in other parts of the world, they're not so much. They, they, they may be um, kind of the run-of-the-mill thing in a small village where there's a 24-volt DC power distribution network. Um, and that may be only among five or ten houses. Um, they may be using those kind of devices right now today. So how long do you predict before we start seeing this transfer to D.C. on the fringes starting to become normal, seeing it in our neighborhoods and most people experiencing it. it it's hard to say. You know, it really is hard to say. I, I guess probably 10 years, but I may be too optimistic. Um, I, I, I often wish I could just remake my own house as D.C. right now and, you know, get rid of a lot of problems that I think I have. Um, <laughs> You know, as an engineer, I always want to improve things. Life and, probably and, wouldn't like that. <laughs> um, you know, so I think there will be some um, special areas that go to D.C. much earlier than um, that the run of the mill cities will. And so um, it, it'll be a, it'll be a long time coming. OK. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, um Hopefully one day there is a day where Edison does win. That's right. What you're leading for Mass. <laughs> but um, after now that we've talked about this, I kind of want to try a new segment that uh, we haven't tried on any of the podcasts yet. And so I'm kind of excited for this, but it's called Beyond the CV. And it's going to be where I ask you to kind of step outside of your research. I'm going to ask you a specific question that's not associated with DC Current, not associated with anything like that. Um, and it's going to really just have you step outside of the work you're doing. Uh, this segment is brought to you by the U of SC Career Center, your go-to place for work. Uh, visit them today in Suite 1A03 of the Swearingen Building for help finding your next dream internship or co-op. So for this week's Beyond the CV, uh, I did a little digging into your past. I was on the internet typing Roger Dougal, seeing what I could find, and I actually found some pretty interesting stuff. When I typed in Roger... <laughs> One of the first things that popped up was a web page titled 
2014 U.S. Sailing uh, National Championship. And there in eighth place, I saw your name. <laughs> what was it like being one of the top sailors in America? <laughs> you know, I can always talk about sailing. <laughs> this podcast might not be long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been blessed to, to really uh, have a lot of fun sailing for 30 years competitively. And uh, I love the J-24 class, and uh, it uh, allows us to sail with a team of five people. And so for us, it's a team sport, and everybody helps to achieve great success. How long have you been? When did you pick up sailing? Well, interesting thing is I picked up sailing when I was a student in college. I was an electrical engineering student, and I bought my first sailboat out in West Texas, dusty, dry, flat West Texas. But there was a lake about an hour away, and I would tow my little boat to that lake an hour away and put it in this puddle of water, but there was always wind in West Texas. <laughs> and I started sailing there, and I brought that boat to South Carolina when I moved here and, and uh, then quickly had to move up to a little bit bigger boat. And uh, I bought a J-24 about 30 years ago, and I've been racing the same boat ever since. And then full circle, now you're the advisor for the selling team at USC too, right? I am. Oh my gosh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciated you coming on today's podcast. And I want to say thank you to all our guests for tuning in today. I encourage all of you to subscribe to Innovation on Main on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so that you know immediately when we release a new episode. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode and I hope you can take away a little something about DC Current and maybe the future of what our energy system in America is going to look like. Until next time, thank you. <laughs>